what happens is Bruce Willis plays a character called David Dunn. And as I say this, I kind of want the Unbreakable theme tune playing in the background because I love that music. I know it. In my head, as I'm saying this, I can hear it. I hear it in my head as I'm talking about it. It's awesome. I love the music. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionwall, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today, we're going to talk about Unbreakable. Yes, uh, and as always, if you want to get in touch, uh, we are at the Story Toolkit on Twitter uh, and the website thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. And you can email us direct there. Admin done. Let's get into it. Okay. So on my Twitter, uh, Wobbles, who is a goose, by the way, uh, a goose uses Twitter. Wobbles uh, asked me to talk about Shyamalan. He said Shyamalan would be an interesting topic. And I, of course, poo-pooed him. And I said, no, that's ridiculous. Don't be, don't be preposterous, goose boy. And he told me, but it would be an interesting thing to do with your Tarantino one. And I'm like, ah, you're actually very smart and quite right for a goose. So I, I acceded to the goose. He's a goose. Yeah, I'm still not quite getting my head around the goose thing. He's, he's a goose. He's an actual goose that uses Twitter. Honk, okay. honk, it's Wobbles the Goose. <laughs> I know it says that on his Twitter, but no, I just now I can't picture anything but a goose using Twitter. Let's, let's push past this. I'm cool with this. Yeah, hey, let's Wobbles. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So there's a reason we're going to talk about um, Unbreakable yes, and a reason so, we're talking about Shyamalan. Yes, M. Night Shyamalan in particular. Um, because we talked about Tarantino and it's still hard for me to say Tarantino, Taranto. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so, so Shyamalan, we talked about how a director's choices inform their style, their style informs their choices. We talked about that in the Tarantino episode. Shyamalan um, is an interesting verse. Because <laughs> okay. Shyamalan... Uh, how else do I say this? Is not good. Okay. Let's just put it that way. Uh, it's not good. I don't know why you're reticent. But to... we're going to talk about Unbreakable. We are. Because Unbreakable, I love. Yeah. I love Unbreakable. It is not a good film. This point of reference, I don't know why you're reticent to slam. And um, I'm saying Shyamalan or Shyamalan? Shyamalan. Shyamalan. I don't know why you're reticent to slam him when you've spent. Two hours in Toto slamming Civil War and numerous hours slamming J.J. Abrams. Uh, <clears throat> two. Two very important points you might have forgotten. One, slamming Civil War is not the same as slamming the Russo brothers. Okay. Right? I'm not attacking a specific person and their, all their work. I'm attacking specifically a specific film. Two, that's not true for Abrams, granted. <laughs> but... But, too, when I have done these things, you laugh and say, see, people, this is what I have to put up with. As if it's not a good thing. So I'm, like, I'm trying to be polite. Oh, I see. I'm happy. I'm happy to get very angry. I will. I will. It will happen, <laughs> right? It will happen. The rage will come in. I'll go full Dennis Reynolds and I'll just go, look at me when you're talking at me. That will happen. That's fine. But I was trying to be nice at the beginning. Because I think this is a I good don't... place to start. Yeah, I don't. Well, no, just be, uh, because I know what you were going to say, because Unbreakable I is... I really like Unbreakable. Yeah, same. I like his first three films. I like Sixth Sense and I like Signs. And I think uh, 
and the, I'm actually going to praise him quite a bit, Shyamalan. Yeah. But and as a person, I don't he's... know him. Like J.J. Abrams, from what I can tell as a person, he's actually really, really nice. <laughs> Shyamalan, don't know anything about him as a person, but as a director, he's awful. I'm going to explain. Well, what. here's here's a point. Actually, you... not as a director, no, as a writer. He's that's awful. exactly what I was going to say. Yes. As a director, actually, what you're going to say is he's fantastic. As yes. A writer, that's where it's lacking. He's awful. Okay. Which is what we're going to talk he's about. No... Let's... Let's let's use that point to move forward then yes. and talk about Unbreakable. Give us a quick synopsis. I love Unbreakable. So Unbreakable is a story in which things happen. Uh, no, what happens is Bruce Willis plays a character called David Dunn, and as I say this, I kind of want the Unbreakable theme tune playing in the background because I love that music. I know it in my head as I'm saying this. I can hear it. I hear it in my head as I'm talking about this. It's awesome. I love the music. Anyway, so David Dunn, uh, he is a security guard at a stadium. And um, he gets into a train accident. And the train goes off the rails. Everyone dies except him. Not only does he not die, he's completely unhurt. What madness be this? He just seems like a miraculous soul survivor. And then Samuel Jackson comes up to him and he says, Listen, they've got my kids in a school. They're going to blow up the school. That's Die Hard 3. Oh, jeez. Got them confused. Now, uh... <laughs> Derailed your own synopsis. Back on track. After, no, it's on track. The, he got derailed. Oh, Do you see what it... Levels! Layers! With, it's like Inception. It's, it's Listen, levels. you are this close to me hitting the pause button and restarting <laughs> this whole process. Move on! I cut this stuff out. Right, so uh, Samuel Jackson shows up and he says he's, a, he's, in, he's got cane and everything. And he's got this incredible illness, which means his bones are extremely brittle. And in fact, we see at the beginning of the film... We see him when he's born, and when he's born, all his limbs are broken. Uh, because just the, the act of giving birth to him broke his limbs. Because he has this incredible problem. And so as a kid, the only way he could be... He couldn't go out and play, because he'd break his limbs and it would hurt. So he would read comics. And he owns a, uh, a, a store that's it's like an art gallery that sells comic book art. It's not... He doesn't sell comic books, he sells the original art. It's like an art gallery. It's, it's a funny scene where a guy goes in to just buy um, <laughs> something for his kid and it's like, this is not a colouring book. Anything. Anyway, so his whole thesis is on one end of the spectrum, you have someone like this guy, Samuel Jackson's character. You have someone like this guy who is completely breakable and um, easily broken up and everything and injured. And he goes, what if... There's the opposite. People who can't be broken. People who can't be hurt. People who don't get sick. Okay? And so he starts saying, have you ever been sick? Have you ever called in a sick day? Have you ever done this? And David Dunn starts... Ask his boss, have I ever called in sick? And the guy goes, ha, funny way of asking for a raise. Okay, fine. Yeah, you can have a raise. He goes, what do you mean? He's like, you've never taken a sick day. And then he asks his wife, who's played by Robin Wright. Yeah, which in the process of us recording these podcasts, that like that's how recently I learnt. Yes, that that's Robin Wright. Robin Wright. Yeah. House of Cards, Princess Buttercup, David Dunn's wife. Anyway, right. I love her. Yeah. Anyway, so she they they're living in the same house, but they're kind of estranged. And he asks her, if I, "Can you remember the last time I was sick?" She's like, "No." And then he's realizing that he hasn't been injured. Can't remember the last time he was in the hospital. Can't remember the last time he was sick, injured, nothing. And there's this cute scene with his son 
where he starts doing bench pressing and his son starts to believe this story and he puts more weight on the bench press and he's able to lift more and more weight and he's it's just this really bizarre thing like how strong is he he doesn't seem to be hurt or anything like that something weird's going on and you're not sure like is there something when then it turns out that actually he was sick once he almost drowned and what's more is he used to be a football player at college and he remembers actually I was used to play football and I got injured in a car accident and I had to give up my career and this Samuel Jackson character whose nickname is Mr. Glass um, because he breaks like glass Okay, he's like look I reckon you are what you think you are and he goes, why do you think you went security? Because I think, like these superheroes, there's something real here. You're supposed to protect us. And there's a bit where David Dunn um, is doing security and he gets this image of a certain, of a specific type of gun in someone's uh, trousers. And so Samuel Jackson follows the guy and discovers he did indeed have the gun that he thought of, the specific type of gun. It's like, how could he have seen it? So he's becoming more and more convinced that David Dunn is like a superhero of some sort, a guardian of people. And he's trying to tell him, and he goes, look, I broke my leg, and I couldn't play football. And he goes, did you? Or were you lying? And you get a flashback, and yeah, in the flashback, he doesn't break his leg. In fact, he's totally uninjured in the car crash. He rips the door off the handle, saves Robin Wright's life, and, uh, he, and he just claimed that he hurt himself because you, were get, you didn't want to be a a star or anything like that and he's like okay so I reckon so he's like okay you were lying about that and he goes but I drowned as a kid I drowned and that really did happen and so Samuel Jackson's like okay I've waited so long for someone to be a sole survivor and do this and I'm wrong he can drown rubbish rubbish he's upset about this and all this stuff and he's in a comic book store and he's just causing a hassle and then he spies a comic book and he reads it and he remembers that superheroes have these weaknesses, like kryptonite and so on. And he tells him, okay, I think water is your kryptonite. We react very differently to everything else. Like on one end of the spectrum, I'm breakable. On one end of the spectrum, you're unbreakable. But when it comes to water, we react exactly the same. And David says, hmm, I'm not sure. And he starts to believe into this. And he goes, here's what you do. You go to like the train station, you put out your hands, and you do that thing where you can sense if someone's danger and he start does that and he picks up all these crimes that people have been committing and one of the crimes he, he feels he senses is a guy has kidnapped an entire family and chained them up in their own house and he follows this person back to the house saves the family the the criminal uh, throws him off the balcony he lands in the pool he almost drowns in the pool he gets out of the pool and he takes out the criminal and saves the day and then he's in the papers you know just like the hooded man in papers and all that stuff and uh, he tells us you know he lets his son know that that's him and his son's like well hey because there's this scene where the kid uh is so convinced that david dunn is superhuman he's going to shoot him to prove that the bullet can't hurt him and david's like if you shoot me you're right it'll bounce off me like superman but then i'll leave and i'll never come home again like that's the only way he can get him out of the thinking of it and um, so at the end, he lets him know, yeah, no, this is really me. So he stops thinking about it. But the mother doesn't know. And then he goes to Samuel Jackson's thing. And Samuel Jackson says, you know, it's like, I did this. I saved the guy and all this. Like, you were right about me. And he goes, yeah, okay, well, here's the thing. Um, I 
crash the train. He doesn't tell him. They shake hands, don't they? Oh, that's right. He goes, yeah, because oh, he wears a glove. He wears yeah. the glove. Thing. He goes, it's time for me to shake hands because the way he does that superpower thing is he takes the glove off. Yeah. Uh, he touches someone's hand. So he touches him, he shakes his hand, and he gets the flashback of it. And Mr. Glass explains that, hey, I crashed the train. I did this, I did that. There's all these sort of, um, all the instances he talked about where there were all these accidents and he was waiting for one sole survivor and it never happened. He caused them all because he's looking for, he wants to find the unbreakable man. He wants to see if there's such a person and he wants to do it. And he found it and he's like, I found you. And of course I should have known I was the villain all along because the villain is always the exact opposite of the hero. You know, you're, bre- you're unbreakable, I'm breakable. I'm called Mr. Glass. Credits. He gets put... And then the credits tell you the rollover credits say that David Dunn put him in prison. And that's that. And, of course, Mr. Glass is happy because he found uh, the superhero. That's the story. Okay. Right. And I think it's obvious from that, the problem. (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting watching you... um, uh, When you tell... When when you give these synopses in in the podcast, I can tell by your face how much you like or dislike the story. Yeah. And throughout that, aside from the little segue into Die Hard Three, <laughs> throughout that you're kind of grinning yeah. until the ending. Yeah, and then you your face drops and yeah. and because that I mean we know that's where the the problem lies, which we'll come back to. Let's yeah. talk about the positives. Let's talk about let's talk about this. Let's talk about the the. Okay, so I'm not joking when I say as I was telling you that. I remembered I'm playing the music in my head. Yeah. The music is no, the granted that's not Shyamalan, that's James Newton Howard. But Shyamalan, I remember in the DVD extras, he says, like, I want a certain type of music for this. I don't want a heroic theme. I want something very quiet that's very singular and distinctive. Hmm. And James Newton Howard gave him a great uh, soundtrack. The music is unbelievable. It's unbreakably unbelievable. Yeah, that's a reach. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was terrible. I haven't seen the film in years and years and years. Um, uh, Not since the Shyamalan magic spell was broken. Yes. Um, But, uh, which means I haven't heard the music in in years, but if you played the music, I reckon I would, I I think I would recognise it. Yeah. I I just remember it being super good. It's really good music. Yeah. Uh, cinematography the cinematography so Shyamalan has an eye his eyes he's just he just knows how to how to place this camera and he knows how to move the camera and he knows how to give colours his colour theory is amazing he knows how to use colours to draw the eye in the right way Uh, example in Unbreakable Mr. Glass is purple right so he surrounds him with different colours and different saturations, so your eyes on Mr. Glass's purple things. The most obvious example is the reds in Sixth Sense, where ghosts have red around them. And so oh, okay. Things like that. There's all this red imagery. and So he knows how to use colour uh, to craft uh, a frame. So he uses the composition in the camera, he uses the movement of the camera, and then the placement of colours. And he just... He just makes these... You could take any frame from a Shyamalan film and it would just be amazing. Uh, It would just look great. He just just has this great eye. I know in particular when you were describing that scene where he's at the um, football... Is it it the football stadium? 
and he puts his hands out. This is a train station. Uh, it's football stadium at the end, isn't it? No, this train station at the end. It's football stadium is the where he works at the beginning. Okay, it's that one. Yeah, he do, do he puts his hands out there. No, the big moment where he puts his hands out like that is at a train. That's station. a train station. Okay, yeah, that moment. Yeah, I just oh, the, the, his. You remember start. the silhouette? Yes, that's just, what I remember. Great. Yeah, it's just great. He he his 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 cinematography is brilliant. Um, it was excellent Sixth Sense it was excellent Unbreakable it was excellent in Signs um, he, he knows how to put the camera down he knows how to move a camera he knows how to compose f- images inside the camera he knows how to compose c- colours inside the camera he just knows how to do it it's just great pace and his pacing is brilliant he does things in one take you know he does those one take scenes right he gets the actors together he gives them their time he knows he can move the camera and keep the camera in certain interesting frames so that the eye doesn't get bored while they just sit there and talk. So he knows how to make it interesting just having two talking heads. And the pacing is just great because he cuts from one to the next. He just takes his time building and building and, and building, drawing you in. Specifically in Unbreakable, you mentioned before we started recording, reminded yes. me of that. Uh, the that scene where Mr. Glass goes down the stairs, walks downstairs. It, yeah, Samuel Jackson goes down some stairs. It's one of the most gripping sequences you've ever seen. It's just so so tense, and he's just walking downstairs because you know if he falls down the stairs, he's going to break his bones and everything. Yeah. And so when he does fall and everything, the sound in, in the scene, you've got all these great sounds going yeah. on, and then you've got the the camera cutting back and forth and. It's just, yeah. He's, he's chasing somebody at the time, isn't he's he? He's chasing the guy with the gun, and he wants to see if the gun, and the guy's going very quickly, and he's going very slow, because he has to limp with a cane. Mm. And then the cane shatters like glass, and then his bones break, and you're just like, this is just great. It's very tense, really, really gripping, um, and, he just, and it's slow. It's yeah. just slow. It's even in slow motion. When he falls, it's in slow motion. It is, yeah. And it's just, it's actually quite beautiful. It's done. Wow. It's just great. Um, image systems is worth bringing up. And me. there's images. There's all kinds of imagery systems. Like, Mr. Glass is always talked to. There's always glass around him. He talks through reflections. Like, when he's born, the, they talk through a mirror. They're, they're they in a, They're in a um, yeah. clothing shop, a uh, changing room. There's a mirror. The doctor talks to the woman's reflection. And so the woman is talking to the doctor's reflection. They're talk- they talk—they don't turn their head. They're talking into the mirror. Yeah. Um, and so there's all these kinds of imagery, image elements of glass and mirrors and things like that whenever, he, whenever he's involved, for example. And there's lots of water-related stuff with dumb. Is there? Yeah, if I remember right, there is. There's all kinds of things. Throughout the movie? Yeah. There's always raining. Ah, right. Things like that. There's all these constant sort of wet motifs around him, blues and things like that. I know he he's blue, isn't he? Yeah, because uh, he's always dressed in blue and everything. Yeah, I know that. But going back to the um, yeah. the color saturation, I know his. And there's there's other things like there's paint cans when they do the bench press. He's putting paint cans on, which is liquid and things. Right, like. there's, yeah. There's dripping, and so there's all these kind of little motifs. And sure. 
Um, and his dialogue as well. And the dialogue is is wonderful. The character, the, they speak in a very natural way. That's very believable, but it's very clear. It's natural, quite and muted as well. Isn't it's very it? muted. The whole thing is muted. I love the, the looking back on it, especially um, the conversations he has with uh, Robin Wright mm. are just the the they're very well observed. Yes. And they just they ring true, yeah. Uh, and in fact, they were so. I mean, in Sixth Sense, you know, obviously spoilers by the way. <laughs> for Sixth Sense, like the one of the reasons that it works so well is because when he had the dialogue between uh, Bruce Willis and his wife, it felt like real marital problems. Yeah. Even though she never talks to him. Yeah. And it just felt real because of the way they're talking, and there's a sense of truth to it, and there's a sense of really well observed human behaviour and insight and it's done very well okay so that's that those yeah. are I mean that's what really Shyamalan good. is in- incredible at yeah that's why he became to be fair such the big name that he did yeah, yeah. so let's flip reverse this then oh <laughs> right so let's, let's talk, talk about, about the image systems first of all right so I point so out we're that gonna t- just that we're going to talk about the actual substance this one I'm going to get to. Are you going to get? I'm going to get. I thought we were going to lead with that, and then you. No, okay. I'm going to get to. Okay. Look, let's take a look at the image systems, right? Yeah. I said all those glass images from Mr. Glass and everything, and <laughs> what's the point? Glass images for a guy called Mr. Glass because he turns out to be the dark reflection of the of the main character, and there's no substance to anything. That's the problem. There's nothing there. That's why when the ending falls out of the film, there's nothing in this story anywhere. It's beautifully done. And I love it. I love Unbreakable. I could watch Unbreakable right now and I wouldn't be bored. And I'd enjoy it. I'd even enjoy the crappy ending. I'd still enjoy it because I love the way it's done and I love elements of it. And I love the, the, the nature of it. But there's nothing there. There's nothing in the image system. Oh, he's made of glass. And... What's the point? Compare that to the image system in Dead Poet Society. In Dead Poet Society, the image system... Spoilers for Dead Poet Society. <laughs> the image system for Dead Poet Society, which is a beautiful film, by the way, is education as a coffin. Okay? They are constantly referring to school and learning as death, with death imagery. Hence, Dead Poets Society. Right? It's in the freaking title. Right? The first thing... Um, Robin Williams does with the kids is he takes them to see photos of dead people and says they're all dead, carpe diem. Um, when Neil is being told he's going to go to military school, he says that's a lifetime, right? So school, there's this constant sense that the school that they're in, the education is suffocating them and burying them alive, killing them, right? That's Dead Poet Society's image system. Why? What does that say? Because it says... That for children, for kids, they can't see the future. They don't know. And they look at their school life and they think that school life, we, we, we say like, your school life determines the rest of your life completely. That's how people look at it, right? And so when they, when they tell the Neil that he can't be an actor, he doesn't think when I leave school, I'm just going to become an actor. He thinks that's the end of his life. And so he kills himself. So the image system helps motivate Neil's suicide in an effort to tell you about how education doesn't just necessarily liberate the mind and in 
inculcate beauty in the uh, in the in the next generation, but can drag them down and destroy them. And if Dead Poet Society was done in Japan, it would be considered a documentary, because they have all. So like you wouldn't believe the rate of suicide for school in Japan. I did not know that. Yeah, and in America, it causes school shootings. Right. Right. It's just it's uh, it's like it's absolutely the case that school can kill. Like this is just true. People get bullied and they kill themselves, right? Like it's not it's not this lovely idea school necessarily. It can be absolutely di- disastrous. And so Dead Poets Society takes that and does a story about that element of life that how an education uh, system can drive a creative kid to suicide. That's what that story is about and that's what that image system plays into. Okay? And the image system reinforces all of that. And in Unbreakable He's glass. <laughs> There's nothing there. There's nothing there to this image system. It doesn't express anything. All it expresses is that is M. Night Shyamalan knows how to hide an image system in a story. He is knows it, how to do it. In a way, but there's nothing to it. In a way, is it kind of like um, the 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 color in his stories as well? Like it, yeah. it's just it's a lovely visual thing. It's 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 all these great visual tricks. And it's really intelligent, and yet it says nothing. It's express the whole point of presentation and these styles is to express the content. But there's no content being expressed. There's nothing being expressed. He's he's the villain. So what? That's a story trick. That's superficial. It's nothing. It's it's nothing about humanity. It's nothing about um, about. So what is this film even about? What's unbreakable about? It's about nothing. There's no substance to any of this. The closest you get is David Dunn's journey, right? Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah there's nothing. I like. I just picking up on something you said. I like this idea of um, of intelligence um, versus uh, insight. So the fact you can have somebody so intelligent and, and uh, talking about the director. Yeah. You can see that intelligence on screen. Yes. It doesn't mean he's got anything to say. He's got nothing to say. Um, and he has like, nothing to say. Yeah, I like. I, he, he thinks like if he idea. says something interesting in an interesting way, therefore what he said is interesting. That's just not true. No. If if I if I at, if I if I present my story with insight, surely that must mean I have insight. No. And so, so the dialogue, it's wonderful. Where's the subtext? What's really going on in these scenes? Nothing's really going on in these scenes. The closest you get to that... I mean, there are some great scenes. There yeah, the, the closest you get to... i tell you what you do get. You do get elements of subtext, um, particularly when David Dunn's talking to... When Bruce Willis is talking to Robin Wright. Yeah. And you really get that sense through what they're saying, and more importantly, what they're not saying to yeah. each other, that there is trouble yes. between the two of them. Right. Okay? Those are some great scenes. Yes. Um, and those kind of stick with and me. And they don't progress. But they don't progress. There's nothing... It's the same scene repeated again and again. And the thing... You can tell he's a great director, Shyamalan. Mm. Because Bruce Willis in Sixth Sense and Unbreakable gives two of his best performances. Yes. He's amazing in both of them. Yeah, agreed. He's absolutely amazing. And I, I feel bad for Bruce Willis because people recently, you know, particularly have had a go at him, you know, because he's always so melancholy and he's such a curmudgeon when he does these press kits and everything. You know, he's you know you know about this. I uh, know I didn't know about this. Yeah, he's you can watch it. He's like he did the press for Red Two. He just was really rude to a reporter for no reason at all, 
and like you hear all these stories about like Kevin Smith in particular goes on about all these horrible stories about working with Bruce Willis and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah. And I go, yeah, does no one else get this? Like, look at him in Bruce in um, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Look at him in Friends and in Moonlighting. He's not an action hero. He's a proper dramatic actor. He's very funny. He's very good. And he's been typecast as John McClane since 1988. And, and he doesn't want to do that stuff. And so when someone like Shyamalan comes along and gives him Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and he just knocks it out of the park, he's amazing in it. And then mm. what does he do? Oh, yeah, can you please do G.I. Joe? <laughs> I know. Can you, like, uh, Kevin Smith is like, yeah, man, I'm such a big fan of yours. I'm such a big fan of yours. I really want you to be in my film. He does his film. What's the film? Cop Out. Can you play a cop, please? Can you please play a tough NYPD cop? All he gets asked to do is tough NYPD cops. That's it. And he doesn't want to do that stuff anymore. He hasn't wanted to do it for ages, but it's all he gets offered. When he tries to do something else, he's amazing in it. And um, so I understand why Bruce Willis is, you know, uh, gets wound up with these things because he's just so good in both these films. And he has nothing. Shyamalan knows how to get a good performance out of him. He gets a good performance out of him. He has nothing. To work with, you mean? Nothing to work with. I mean, how good was he in Looper? He was Looper. amazing oh, in Looper. Oh, yeah, Looper's incredible. He was amazing in Looper, and he had something to do there. Hmm. He had to make you fall for this character at first, and then had to arc it and make him worse and worse as the story went on. And yeah. he's great in Looper, and he liked doing Looper. He liked doing Looper. And so... Um, so Avalon knows how to get these performances out. Robin Wright's great. The kids. Right? It's very good. This is very telling how good he is with kids. With Haley Joel, Joel Osment, and I forget the name of the kid in Unbreakable. He, he's, he's, I've seen him in other stuff as well. I forget his name. He's good. I just can't remember his name. Anyway, those two guys, great. This tell, and it, it, Science, great. But when he did Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, I heard this story from people who know people on the set and stuff. And they got the actor who played... Ang and Shyamalan on like day two put his hands in his head and just was like the kid can't act <laughs> really yeah and for Shyamalan to say that when he made Haley Joel Osment's career sure you know like these he knows kid actors yeah he knows how to get good performances out of children and so when he realised that he didn't he couldn't even get the performance out of Airbender that might explain part of the trouble of that film yeah um, but um so he knows how to get good performances out of, out of, out of people, and he and he so he's a great director, and so even, but they have nothing. They have nothing. He has the same these scenes. There's nothing going on in these scenes, really. Um, but it gives it a great sense of gravity. And the other point, uh, with the lack of substance is, um, you mentioned again before we start recording the the fix for Unbreakable, right? The di- being the deeper doesn't mean bigger. Yeah, people. Whenever you go online, people go like their fan fiction ideas of what a great sequel to Unbreakable be, or the Unbreakable trilogy, which right. I love. And it's always like it becomes this huge superhero epic and all that kind of. It's like no, no, one extra superhero ruins Unbreakable because Unbreakable isn't about going wide into the world and making it bigger and creating a big mythology. It's a it, it's it's promising you going deeper into these characters' lives, into the character. Not going wide into the world. The world is irrelevant. Hmm. 
uh, it's about what's inside these characters and what's going on deep down. So the fix from Breakable isn't... The, when I say there's no substance, I don't mean because not enough is at stake or because that um, it's not big enough or wide enough or anything like that. So, no, the, when I say there's no substance, I say it's not about anything. It doesn't mean anything. And furthermore, there are no real stakes. There are. It's not that there's some stakes and they're not big enough. It's like there aren't the things that are supposed to be at stake in this film aren't at stake. David Dunn's life is not at stake. His marriage is not at stake. Mr. Glass is not at stake. None of these things are at stake. If David Dunn stops being a hero, what does he lose? Well, he loses nothing. And what does he gain from being a superhero? From from doing the stuff. A sense of purpose? Yeah. Okay, in which case, what is that? If he, if he stands to gain a sense of purpose, then that must mean he must lose his purpose if he doesn't become the Maybe. hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why is his life not purposeless? I'm with you. He has, a, he has a life. He has a kid. He has a wife. He has a job. And they, they're not making you happy. I'm like, yep, yeah, fair enough. Okay, so this will give you purpose. Great. So if he doesn't get that, if he turns out not to be a hero, if he if he can't be the hero, what changes in his life? Or he goes back to where he was. Nothing's at stake. <laughs> he has to end up worse than where he started if he can't get it. Think about it. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. by definition, he has to lose his family. He has to like something's going to happen. What he's going to kill himself? What's going to happen? Like, come on. What happens if you take away this man's purpose? Oh, he just goes back to having his nine to five and his family. What's the story? There's nothing here. There's no substance here. So people's... The fixes have been for the substance. Hey, let's have more superheroes. Let's have big fights with supervillains. No, that's not the fix. The well, fix is giving that sense of purpose to Dunn. I to- I totally, that's what Shyamalan was going with. I totally understand the inclination to, so to, to go wider into the world. So because, because it's so... Um, Real's not the right word, but he's kind of... Plausible. Plausible, thank you. Yeah. Because it's so plausible. It's a take on a superhero that we've just not had before. Yes. Um, the closest thing I can think of in terms of real people or plausible people, uh, with the exception of Dr. Manhattan, is Watchmen. Yes. Talking about graphic novel. Right. And what, But Watchmen's enormous. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, so when you have something that kind of uh, draws you into that actual yes. hero so well, you want to go, well, what would it be like if well, he fought? But it's could, not about that. I think another good example would be Hancock. Sure, which right? destroyed itself in the second half. It did. And Hancock, um, the problem with Hancock was Hancock is one of those ones that does want to go wide. Yeah, It kept pushing itself wider and wider, him into this media world, him into the judiciary system, etc. And it just fell apart because he had no villain. Mm. Um, and so it, that was an action story that wanted to go out into the world and it didn't give its character the villain it needed to create a story whereas Unbreakable isn't one of those types of stories no and so taking it out into that world you suddenly realise none of what makes Unbreakable interesting translates what that film wanted to be about was about him finding purpose in life as a hero so it's an, as like a say, as as like a as, as, about, as an anonymous savior. When we talk about purpose, are we talk? Yeah. Are we saying this is effectively about meaning? Is this an education story, or should it be? It sh- it should be uh, an education story. Yeah. 
uh, that's what it should be. To put to, to put it in terms to, to yeah, in terms of genre, it should yeah. be it should be like about Schmidt or um, up in the air, those kind of. But films. it threatens to go in that direction, but it doesn't. It, it, well, threaten. <laughs> it promises. Promises. It promises it's going to go right. It's all about what's going on in these characters, how he feels. I mean, Glass, Mister Glass's entire pitch to Dunn is, you feel purposeless. Right. Okay. I'm His sure. whole pitch. So this film is supposed to be about this guy's discovery of the meaning of his life and it's it doesn't go anywhere and it doesn't matter if he doesn't get it I think that's that's he's not the, trapped in a hell out of all of this that's the most telling sentence yeah. there I know you mentioned it before but it just it solidified it there yeah like that's meant to be his purpose nothing happens if he doesn't do it yeah he doesn't lose nothing anything. changes nothing changes and he can just keep on going hmm. um, and that's just not the case of other education stories it's just not the case these characters, they don't get it. I mean, <laughs> if Phil Connors doesn't get doesn't get it, he he's stuck. trapped forever in Groundhog Day. If um, if uh, George Clooney in Up in the Air doesn't get it, he's gonna die on the plane. He's yeah. gonna waste his whole life. Right? It's not just like, oh yeah, he's, he hasn't got his job anymore. Yeah, he's gonna lose his job. He's gonna lose the woman he loves. He's going to lose everything. So in Up in the Air, if he doesn't find something else in life, he's going to lose everything. And the film ends with him aware of this. <laughs> right? <laughs> he ends with him just finally aware, oh, if I don't find something else to do with my life, I don't have a life. I love the ending to Up in the Air. Yeah. So satisfying. Uh, about Schmidt. Right? Yeah. Uh, he is going to die with filled with regret. If he doesn't get it, he's going to end his life. He's just going to die alone, crying because he did nothing with his life. He's going to hate himself. He's going to be gripped by self-loathing and just pass away from old age, right? Yeah. And he find, and at the end, he gets it. His life wasn't a mistake because he saved a kid. He meant something to dear Ndugu, mm-hmm. right? He meant something to somebody else. So... So if David Dunn doesn't become a superhero, nothing changes. And that's the problem. And that's the, that's why I said there's no substance to this film. Yeah. There's nothing there. Okay. And that's what the problem is. So you have these wonderful scenes which are wonderfully acted, but there's nothing there. Let's, Image systems, um, nothing there. Let's, uh, let's, let's crack on and move okay. to... I just wanted to talk about a f- just a few of his other movies. Yes. And relate the same problems with this like the, the same problem is a problem in his other yeah. movies as so well. Sixth Sense what's Sixth Sense about what's it about yeah what does he want uh, he wants to get back with his wife what happens if he doesn't nothing he's already dead right. doesn't matter <laughs> uh, Signs Signs I mean Signs Signs has a different problem um, in that it's just stupid um, <laughs> I love Signs I really do I think the acting I mean his, he got such a good performance out of Gibson and, and Phoenix yes they, Jeez, yeah, they are great stupid ass film so stupid why why because it, it's it's so superficial uh, yeah he saves his kids and he saves his family and goes back to being a priest and these are fictional people it doesn't it doesn't go beyond that it just doesn't go beyond anything. It's just really like, hey, this thing happens. It's like a, a, new, a typical Hollywood blockbuster, whatever. It's just there's nothing there. 
It's like it's a story about these characters. Well, these characters aren't real people, so why should I care? You mean it doesn't offer any insight into the world? Nothing. It offers no or insight into anything. Or it's just like la- it lacks any insight at all into anything. It lacks any substance in terms of meaning. I mean, those lack six sense and unbreakable lack substance in terms of what's at stake. This one, like, what's at stake? Well, his family's at stake. If he doesn't save his family from the aliens, they'll die. Okay, fair, fair enough. But it's not an alien movie. It's not a horror film. It's not an action film. It's about a guy's faith in God. Yeah. And then at the end, that has that they have all those coincidences, all those signs, and everything. And he gets his faith back, and you're just like, really? What happens if he doesn't get his faith back? Nothing. Yeah, if he doesn't save his family from the aliens, yeah, they die. Okay, that's that's something that's at stake. But what's at stake in terms of his his story? In terms of his belief. In terms mm-hmm. of the faith story, the yeah, central yeah. story of the uh, the central story of Signs is Mel Gibson's character. Uh, his family is falling apart because he can't forgive God for taking his wife from him. Mm. That's the central story of it. What happens if he doesn't find his faith? His family falls apart. His family's already broken. So what happens? Nothing. It's, just, it's the same problem. Stakes are a problem here as yeah. well. I didn't see the village. I, can't, I didn't see the point. I didn't <laughs> see the lady in the water. Again, I didn't see the point. You did, though. I did. It was a long time ago now. Do you remember it? Uh, vague. I remember it being cute um, and not suffering from the twist ending problem. It didn't have a twist, did it? I remember it being nice. In fact, yeah, Hannah and I afterwards went, ah, oh, that 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 was okay. That, was- <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't terrible. Yeah. Uh, then we had the hap- <laughs> the happening. Now, I wanted to bring up the happening. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up. Because this is, I mean... Laughably bad. So I mean, I watched I watched all these uh, uh, most of these movies before I really started to learn anything about writing. Oh jeez, I'm so just, six, just six the sense. happening, just like Six Sense, Unbreakable Signs, the happening. Jeez, there is a chasm of right. quality between them, right? <laughs> yeah, this is it. The first three movies, you know, I enjoyed, um, uh, and certainly when I first watched them, you yeah, know, kind of blown away. And I, you made me want to watch Unbreakable again. So that's that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, when the happening came along, by that point, and the cracks had already started to appear in, in, uh, in his formula, um, <laughs> and I saw that, and when, when the, the the twist happens, and you just think, somebody in the filmmaking process, somebody, there are hundreds of people involved. Somebody has to turn around and say, trees. <laughs> what? Like really? I do, that's how I feel about Avatar. Unobtainium. <laughs> really no one like there's not one person anywhere on any of the sets any of the pre-production that just turned to camera and went we can't call it this this isn't written by Zoolander like this has this is ridiculous and he's like I don't care it's called Unobtainium it's the greatest sci-fi epic ever it's Pocahontas with worse words that's what this is uh, and yeah I don't get it like trees Trees. Trees. Uneditable. That's the name <laughs> of his next film. That's the sequel to Unbreakable. Uneditable. But yeah, tree, trees oh, Trees are killing Jeez. people. They're causing people to kill themselves. It's just so stupid. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so then after the happening you had, I think, Avatar, The Last Airbender, which was abominable. Well, that's... Tr- uh, the happening was the last break I gave. Yeah, I gave I saw... The, I've not seen anything I, So, since. Airbender... 
people were excited about it because of the cartoon. And <laughs> you love the cartoon, don't you? I hadn't seen the cartoon. Oh, okay. What happened was uh, I heard this story from my fr- from my friend Adam Hughes. Um, he <laughs> he he went to see the film with his friends who loved the show and he'd never seen the cartoon. And they walked out and went, "Okay, that's right. This is a problem." The next day, they went round to Adam's house with the DVDs. And went, You're watching the show because the film is nothing like the show. You're watching the show. They forced him to watch the DVDs, <laughs> and he loved the show. He loved the cartoon. Yeah. And so that's how I found out about it. So I'm like, I watched the cartoon. I watched the cartoon. I'm like, wow, this cartoon is great. I love Airbender. This is so good. And I love the spin-off, Korra. Wow, I haven't finished it. But I love that series. And then I watched the film. The film, no joke, is all the episodes of the cartoon in two hours. Sorry? Yeah. How many episodes? You didn't see Luke's face. <laughs> like, no, it's really. Like, How many episodes of the show? Twenty. Right. It, and literally, it's 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 things like they go. It's just voiceover narration. Then we did this. Then we did that. Then we did this. Then we did that. And then he changes things for no reason. I don't understand why. And uh, the acting is terrible. There's he doesn't know what subtext is apparently in this film. It doesn't look good. Really? really? Not particularly good, no. I mean, some of the directing in it's nice, but some of it is abominable. Like, you just have to look at the uh, the Earthbenders scene. It's one of the stupidest, most awfully directed scenes I've ever seen. And it, it, this thing is just a train wreck of a film. Utterly destructive. Utterly damaging. And, of course, the franchise has been ruined by it. They can't do a film of it now. Mm. So, hopefully they can... I mean, this, But the cartoon's great. Yeah. But the film is terrible. Utterly, utterly terrible. Plus, there's also a really racist element to it, which is bizarre because everyone's Shyamalan's Indian. Yeah. Which is in the show, it's everyone's Japanese pretty much. It's an American show, but they're all Japanese, and like the the waterbenders, they are sort of Eskimo people, and uh, the airbenders are like Buddhist monks, and the um, the firebenders are Japanese and the earthbenders are... I forget where they look like they come from. Uh, I think they have a Japanese element to them as well. Uh, right, so it's sort of... Yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. huge Asian thing. Yeah. The film? Film's race bending. Uh, the film is just... Everyone is white except for the villains who are all played by Middle Eastern people. Oh. <laughs> and you're like... Uh, okay. We're just... Uh, we're just gonna okay. So the Fire Nation is the Middle East. Everyone else is white. Okay, and then the weird thing is in the cartoon they gave them very American-sounding names. Yeah. For the way, so you would say Ang and Sucker and all that stuff. And Sharon was like, "Well, hold on. Asian people don't talk like that. So Ang, Sucker, and all this stuff." And so they gave the. So hold on a minute. You've got a bunch of white people saying the proper Asian version. <laughs> Why didn't you just cast... Anyway, it's just... The whole thing's a train wreck from start to finish. So, and he knows it is, by the way. Everyone knows it's a train wreck. But then he did After Earth, which he couldn't put his name on, because if they if they had, no one would see it. And they would be right not to, because it was terrible. Uh, I talked about how good a director he is. Yeah. Somehow he made Will Smith boring. Will Smith is a lot of things, but boring is not one of them. <laughs> and Will Smith is boring. He went, you know what would be great? What if I asked Will Smith to play a character with no emotions? Well done. Ouch. So that was terrible. 
After Earth, and I think he's just done a new film called Split, which has one of the most preposterously stupid premises I've ever heard, which is a man with 23 split personalities kidnaps some people in an effort to create a 24th. Because 23 split personalities wasn't enough. (laughs) I don't get... So, anyway. That uh, acting wise, that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, though. McAvoy looks. I like. I liked it. He apparently supposed to be good in it, but I I don't think I'm going to (laughs) bother. I really. No, I can't imagine. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I mean, I don't even think split personalities is a thing. According to medical research and stuff, like it's not really a thing that even exists. So twenty three of them. Just, just, I can't. No, I'm not going to get into this. Well, it's just, it's annoying me in principle, <laughs> and I'm annoyed by it. Uh, it's just such a stupid premise. What happens next? How about if he gets a 24th? And, and the thing that annoys me is if I watch it and it turns out to be good. <laughs> you you can't ha- take that. This risk. happened with Sunshine. I saw the trailer for Sunshine. It's like if the sun dies, everyone dies. And I'm like, if you need to tell me that, this is the stupidest <laughs> film in the world. Then I watch the film and I'm like, ah, oh, this film is pretty good, actually. I'm enjoying it. And then they go, the Sunday, I'm going, that's, that's a stupid line, but I'm enjoying this film. And then the sun zombie shows. Like, oh, no, this is terrible. Why did I bother watching this stupid film? So I fell asleep during that movie. Now, I have fallen asleep at many inappropriate times during movies. From Dust Till Dawn was my favourite. <laughs> fell, fell asleep. Woke up literally three minutes later. Literally three minutes later, and there is a band playing dead bodies. And there's vampires everywhere. What did I miss? Anyway, yeah, I thought asleep I thought I thought I'd fall yeah. asleep for ages. Apparently three minutes is all uh, it was Rodriguez, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All he needed. Um uh, <laughs> if I'd given him three more minutes. But sunshine. Sunshine I fell asleep, I didn't wake up. Um but the, <laughs> I was watching it with a friend who did stick it out, and afterwards, because uh, I thought yeah, it was quite interesting. Yeah, uh, not enough to stay awake, of course. <laughs> not that interesting. Yeah, it was really. Did late. you know that if the sun dies, we might all die? <laughs> did you know that? Well, I learned that Mind from the blown, movie. Right? <laughs> yeah. So when I woke up, and he just went, "I have no idea what the ending was about." I was like, "What, what did I miss? You missed. You missed." Um, uh, a previous captain from another expedition or something stow away and, and like get burned alive by the sun but he's still alive then he attacks them so basically a sun zombie attacks them is basically the pre- the climax and it's just this is terrible why <laughs> and so I don't want Split to be good okay I've decided and it won't you don't be. want it to I've been, I'm like, why, why would I even give him another chance when the premise that bad it's a bad premise. Unless that premise has been told to me erroneously. Hey, people online, I don't care what you think. <laughs> you, I know you, that's what you thought. You thought I was going to ask, hey, tell me what you think about the film Split. I'm like, I don't want to know. Toolkit's audience drops to zero. I don't know. I, I care about everything you think, but I don't want to know about Split. I just don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's all I meant. Like, Split. Like, I don't care what you think don't about worry, Split. Don't worry, guys. I will watch it. I will bear the brunt of this. And uh, I, I will force I watched, him. I watched Star Trek Beyond for Adam. Right? Oh, I, right, I went yeah, to watch yeah, it for him. I said, "I'll watch it, and if it's no good, you don't bother." Okay? It's like, yeah, that was our pact, and I went to see it for him, and I went, "Don't bother." Then he went to see it anyway. I'm like, "Why did I bother watching it then?" <laughs> I put my life on the line for you, Adam. 
So if you're going to go watch let's, Split for me, that's a, that's okay. Listen, let's let let's start to bring this um, <laughs> to, to a close. You wanted to talk about taste versus quality. Yeah. So I point out I pointed out in the other one, like you know, hey, you should be able to recognise your taste versus the quality. In the Tarantino thing. podcast, I pointed that in the Tarantino one. Well, here's the reverse. I love Unbreakable. Seriously, I really, really, really love it. I could watch it right now. It's rubbish. And I need to know that it's rubbish so I don't go sit down and go like, yeah, man, I'm going to copy Unbreakable because I don't want to waste my time copying Unbreakable. However, because I can look at it and go, here's the problems with it and so on and blah, blah, blah. I can also look at it and go, well, the reason I love it is because of certain things that it promises and also to do with the style. And so the good things that I love about it, I can divorce from the terrible things and learn good lessons from it. And I can learn the mistakes from it because I can tell the difference. I can say this is a rubbish film that I really love because I can tell that difference. That's really it becomes a good learning tool for me. But if I can't tell the difference, this is why when I say like it doesn't matter if you have the same taste as me or whatever, that doesn't matter. If you love Civil War, Captain America Civil War, go for it. Great. It's fun. I, it is fun. It's enjoyable. But if you think, yeah, films should be like Civil War, like, I'm telling you, it's really badly written. Mm. It's very nicely done, Civil War. Lots of fun. But the story is rubbish. It's empty. There's no spine of action. And if you can't tell the difference between that, if you get swept up in that, then you won't. You can't learn the right lessons. You see, you can't learn the right lessons. You can't progress as a writer. Yeah, you just, you just, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get trapped. You're going to copy people's mistakes and not realize why. I was, Particularly when someone like Shyamalan or Civil War, where they've got a huge success. Yeah, where they've made so much money. You go, well, they must be doing something. I say, like, yeah, but what they're doing right isn't the writing. Yeah, what they're doing right is, in Shyamalan's case, is the presentation, it's directing, mm. and also there's a bit of marketing going on. Because a lot of Shyamalan's career was built on the fact that Sixth Sense was an enormous success and he got a $600 million deal to make six more films. Oh, really? Yeah, off Sixth Sense. Wow. So he had to make those films. (laughs) Like, he he was contracted. People wanted to stop making Shyamalan films long before he stopped. But they couldn't because he was contracted to do them. Yeah. And he was in this deal or whatever, as far as as I'm aware. So, and he sold it for a lot of money. So he became a huge Hollywood success story. He became one of the... He became the dream. The independent, overnight success that made hundreds of millions of dollars. And so... And he coasted on that for two films. And then Science came out and it started not working. Hmm. I think uh, before we started this, I was you know, only somewhat sceptical about, um, about... It was more about what lesson we would learn from this. But I think this... As as a as a kind of companion piece with the Tarantino one, this this really beautifully, um, uh, I think <laughs> I think our work is beautiful. Um, I think it quite usefully. That's a better word. Uh, usefully highlights what we want people to learn from this from the the, the style and substance yeah. um, argument and the first, yeah. um, um, taste and yeah. quality. Yeah, you know. So well done, wobbles. <laughs> no, being able to. Having the tools at your disposal yes. to unpick why a movie doesn't work when you like it, yes, and s- still being able to sit back and go, I'm st- I still like it, but I'm not going to learn and see what works when you don't like it, right? Like, yeah, I see how he did that. And oh, if you see a movie that yeah. you don't like but actually works quite well, you go, I can see why 
like the, give me the, an example of that of well what, recently me- I really liked um, no 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 a movie that you don't like but you know it works yeah uh, what I was going to say well I because I, I just saw it La La, sure. La Land oh, okay, okay. Um, I liked it but I looked at that and I'm like musicals this kind of, it's not a huge deal for me jazz yeah. music Hollywood yeah but people really really love it and I th- and I think Jason's going to love it by the way sure uh, and um, and I look at it and I'm like I see how this totally wraps people up and I don't look at it in terms of like well I, I, I don't fall for that I mean like no it's actually just really well done so I, a lot of my appreciation for La La Land is not because I actually really loved it, mm. but because as I'm watching it, I'm like, "This is so well done." Okay. So I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't lose myself in La La Land, which suggests to me I didn't like it that much. Mm. But at the same time, I really appreciated how well done it was, and so I enjoyed my time there, and it was quite delightful to watch. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Do you mean something where I hate it? Yeah, I was trying to think. I, I know we had a conversation once about How to Train Your Dragon and about the fact that you've got no interest in the world. Yes. Um, but it's a great movie. Were you talking about that one or the sequel? I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember I remember that being well, a conversation that. between it. Was between it How to Train Your Dragon? It was, yeah. I, I remember quite specifically because I love the world. I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's cute. Yeah, it really is. How to Train Dragons, both of them were cute. Um, and I, I liked I liked them both. I saw them both, and I liked them. Yeah, both. maybe but, it was the second one you were talking about. But it must which isn't been, as good as the first one. But must be the second one. Anyway, yeah, a movie that you really, really didn't like. I don't. I don't worked. know. I can't think of one because generally, if if there's a film that's really done well, I appreciate it for that. Sure. And so I don't walk around out hating it. You see know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I can't think of a film that Maybe I... Maybe hate's a strong word then, but just yeah, something... Yeah, I can't think of a film that I really dislike, that, but I would go, this is really well done. Really dislike. I've been trying to think. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I mean, I used to really dislike Watchmen. The, the graphic novel. Yeah. You know, it's but in- I, I like... I, but I appreciate... I think it's done so, so well. I, I don't I, you know what I mean I'm so I'm glad you mentioned that because you brought it up in the Tarantino podcast and I was just about to bring up Tarantino oh. as an example for me I know I know Django Unchained's a great movie don't care for it Inglourious yeah. Bastards same thing yeah I just didn't, didn't do anything for me right but I, could, but I know that it's I know that yeah. it's good exactly yeah yeah I, I'm wondering if that's the case for Aronofsky with me ah right because you you're, yeah you're not, I don't like his films you're and not in yet on people Aaron, really Aaron's love going. him and I'm like I'm wondering if I'm missing something with him yeah I don't know um, I, I mean that has been the case where I've done that where I've missed out which is why I'm, I'm always kind of nervous about that kind of thing because <laughs> the way people talk about him I'm just like I think I'm wondering if I'm missing something yeah can't tell but regardless uh, it's just it's just a good ability to be able to tell that so you can at least trust yourself a bit more and and we talked about Tarantino like how there came a point where I went oh, I get it with Inglourious Bastards yeah well with Shyamalan I had that same moment of I get it there's nothing here the reverse <laughs> which was when I went from uh, with with Tarantino you know I'm like I don't get his movies don't get them I don't like them then I watch one and go oh he's amazing I understand what everyone loves with Shyamalan I was I was watching them and I'm like and everyone has their own moment where they went, I gave up on Shyamalan. But for me... Trees. For you, it was trees. Yeah. Yeah, when you suddenly realise this is the case for Shyamalan, 
which is for me it was the premise of the village yes when someone when I found out what the premise of the village was and I went I know what the twist is and then someone went to see the village and I said was this the twist and they went yep and I'm like okay and then I went well what's the point in me watching it and that's when I realised there's nothing in these films Mm. the only thing in these films is the twist you sit down for 90 minutes and then in the last 5 minutes he goes ah shalabaloom here's a twist you go okay and you hope he hid the twist well enough and that's it and you realise that's the, like and he, he would say they're Twilight Zone episodes and I'm like yeah but they're 40 minutes long yeah. and your films are 2 hours long and Robot Chicken called it years ago yeah yeah. Did you do you not know that? You know we say often what a twist to each other. That's from Robot Chicken. That's from Robot Chicken. Yeah. Yeah. There's a what there's a, a there's a little sketch I where, got that from you. Right. Well, I got it from Robot Chicken. Yeah. There there's a sketch, there's a, a Shyamalan sketch where um just a series of things, unbelievable things happen one after the other. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's based on the signs. Oh right. Um alien turns up and is not an alien it's a human what a twist <laughs> he keeps turning to the camera doing jazz hands and saying what, <laughs> what a twist, twist. <laughs> um, but yeah that was after Signs that's when they called it well, I remember um, South Park doing this with the Imagination Land episodes <laughs> and they, they, go, they the military discovered that the imaginations are real and running wild and so they call in movie directors to help them and they call in Michael Bay and they go, Michael Bay, you're a movie director. Help us. We need your imagination to help us. And he goes, how about if a car flips into a truck and then the truck explodes? And they go, that's not an idea. That's a special effect. Okay, how about how about if a, how about if a crane hits a plane? And it's like, get him out of here. And they bring in Shyamalan. And he goes, what if we're the imagination all along? That's not an idea. That's a twist. What it? That's all I know how to do. We know that's all you know how to do. Get out of here! And then they bring in Mel Gibson, and Mel Gibson actually solves it. And they go, "Say what you want about Mel Gibson, but the ton of bitch, he knows story structure." <laughs> like, and, uh, uh, but yeah, so yeah, the once you realise that it's just about, and then the Lady in the Water came out that had no twist, and there's like, well, there's no point in this at all. And you just okay. realize there's nothing to his films. Okay, let's. And when you realise that, you realise everything about him that's wonderful is. He he makes his his style of expression is so well done that you don't realise that he's telling you nothing, that he's expressing nothing. So that's the problem. And that's what I was gonna ask you to do. Sum it up. And you have done. Okay, so sum I, it up. I, I am redundant. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, are we done? We're done. It? I think I'm done forever now, apparently. Okay. Uh, next week, I'll have a new co-host. <laughs> um, well, it's been fun. <laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs>